Good morning, everyone. So you chose the right mass today. I kind of grade myself mentally after each mass and how I did with the homily. Last mass was like a D minus. So I'm like praying for a C. Come on, Lord. Um, One of the things I hope you know about your faith, and I hope you know about the scripture, and I hope it's your attitude towards God's word, is that it's not just about things that happened in the past. God's word speaks through time. And it's meant to speak to us today. I think it would be easy to read that really short gospel we had today and to think, well, wow, Jesus, you know, I guess we're back to, you know, um, he-man Jesus who can just do anything and cool, he cured a blind man, great. But of course, it's so much deeper than that. Today's gospel is not meant just to tell you something that happened in the past. It's meant to say something about who you are, who Jesus is, and what it means to be a Christian. And I wanted to share with you one time in history that would have, this story would have resonated incredibly loudly in the ears of Christians. At the end of the first century, and in the second half of the first century, Christians still saw themselves as Jews. And we, in a way, we really do as well. Uh, Romans chapter 2, Galatians chapter 6 talk about this. We're still, we see Christianity not as the uh, kind of negation of Judaism, but as its ultimate flowering and fulfillment. And so the early Christians, they had mass on Sundays, we know that, but they also went to synagogue. And as the first century progressed, after Jesus had rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, the Jews were tired of Christians. There was a lot of conflict and one of the things they did was, at the end, towards the end of the first century, they instituted something called the Curse of the Nazarene. And so to go to synagogue, you, as you entered, you had to curse Jesus or they wouldn't let you in. Because they knew that would excommunicate all the Christians. Powerful, right? And painful. And in our gospel today, we're told that the parents of the man born blind are scared to testify because the Jews had decided that anyone who confessed Jesus as the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. And indeed, when the man born blind, when he testifies, right, and he really stands up that this is what really happened, he's cast out. He's excommunicated. So Christians of the first century, right, this wasn't just a story. This is their story. And I hope today it's your story. If you come to Mass here, I hope I challenge you. When I first came to Lourdes, that's one of the first things I said might have been my first Mass, is that if I don't challenge you as a priest, I'm failing. I hope you come to Mass and I hope you feel so loved. I hope you know that Jesus died for you. He loves you more than you'll ever understand. And I hope you're challenged.
right? Because if not, we could all just kind of stay at home on Sundays and drink mimosas and, I don't know, think about how cool we are. Have you ever been, have you ever ended a relationship like that? I say this a lot, but it's so true. Brothers and sisters, if your faith doesn't cause you to be excommunicated from some people, you're probably not living your faith. Jesus, one of the things he does in the New Testament is that his goodness provokes people out of indifference. You can't be on the fence about him. That wasn't me. Um, but God bless you, whoever you are. The, uh, there's a, in the, um, I just thought of this. In the book, uh, Brides Had Revisited, there's this wonderful line where the kind of matriarch of the family is really holy. And one of the children says, you know, people either loved mom or they hated her. And she says, I think a lot of people, they didn't really hate mom they really were frustrated with God. But mom was kind of like God, and so they didn't like her. There's something to that. So the scripture speaks through time, and today's gospel reading, brothers and sisters, is about us. It's about your life. It's about when you became a Christian, the day you were baptized, as St. Paul says today in Ephesians 5, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The story of the man who was blind, who was in darkness and came to light to see that, that's our story. And today's, today's gospel is about conversion. It's picked for our RCIA people. And, and this year, these stories of conversion are meant for those who are becoming Catholic. But it reminds all of us, doesn't it? Why am I a Christian? Do I really believe this? What's this all about? That's why we have these gospel readings during Lent. So I want to zoom out briefly, and I want to talk about the big picture in John's gospel. And I've preached on this before, but it's so powerful. It's so beautiful. It speaks to me every time. John's gospel, Jesus performs a lot of miracles, but he never calls them a miracle. And St. John never once refers to them as miracles. He refers to them always as signs. So in chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine at the wedding feast at Cana. And then when he finishes that, John comments on it. And he says, this was the first of Jesus' signs that he performed. And Jesus performs seven signs between that, mirror, that first one, chapter 2, through chapter 11. And the, the one in chapter 11 is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Seven signs. Powerful, amazing, miraculous signs. And don't you wish that he would do that now? This means yes. This means no. Right? We all think that, don't we? Don't we all want that? We all want a sign from God. We want it for lots of reasons. We want it to have faith. God, if you're real, just show me. Right? And we do it like for vocations is a common one. Father Brian, I'll be a priest if God wants me to, but, um, but I go to Lord's and it's kind of hard and there's lots of women, so I need a sign. 
Here's the thing. Signs and miracles are really cool, and they're real, by the way. But they tend not to work. They don't really give people faith. There's miracles all over the place. When, uh, in the modern world, there's a great one. So Our Lady of Guadalupe, the tilma, Juan Diego's cloak that's in Mexico City, is unbelievably miraculous. It's insane. I, I just challenge you, go look it up. Go do some research on it. It's amazing. One of my favorites, though, we're in the, this year is the 100th year anniversary of Fatima. Our Lady of Fatima appeared in 1917. Right, so that's where it's 2017. That's 100, easy math. Uh, this is the 100th year anniversary. On October 13th of 1917, there was a crowd that had gathered with the three girls, there were the three children of Fatima, because they had seen Mary. And we don't know for sure, but the estimates range anywhere from 30,000 people to 100,000 people. And on October 13th of 1917, that crowd, which was somewhere between 30,000 people and 100,000 people, they all saw a miracle of the sun. Where the sun started to like, they say it was like the sun was dancing in the heavens. I read something this morning. My point is, brothers and sisters, it was a totally miraculous event. I 100% believed it happened. But you, people don't become Christians because of science. I read a blog this morning from someone who was talking about that miracle, and he said, well, you know, they were staring at the sun too long. They're all looking at the sun, and so their eyes went kind of nuts, and they all thought it was dancing. I'm like, I don't think, you know, 30,000 people all did that exact same thing. And when you stare at the sun, it's like, yeah, you could see some funny things, but you don't describe it that way. But we explain away miracles. It doesn't help us. It doesn't engender authentic faith. When I was discerning priesthood, the first time I ever thought that I might be called to priesthood, I was terrified. And I didn't want it at all. And I went into work the next day, and I was working at the rec center. I walked in. It was like 7 in the morning. And my boss came in like 10 minutes later and I, we both knew each other, we were Catholic, but we'd never once spoken in faith. She walked in, threw her keys on her desk, and she looked at me and she said, I want you to be my priest. And I was like, I need a new pair of underwear. Right? <laughs> I didn't really say that. <laughs> but here's the thing, I didn't become a priest because of that. That did not convince me that God was calling me to priesthood. And looking back, if I had based my decision on that, that's a very weak thing to base your faith on. Maybe it was a coincidence. You can explain this away. And here's the point, brothers and sisters. Jesus performed seven signs. Seven of them. In John 6, at the beginning of the chapter, Jesus multiplies loaves for 5,000 people. And just a few verses later, the same people who were there, Jesus claims to be the Messiah, and they say, well, what sign do you have to prove to us that you're the Messiah. And I quote Jesus like, seriously? No, just kidding. Signs don't ultimately engender faith. It's something so much deeper. And so I want to read to you today in John 12, and this is the big picture. I know today's gospel is about conversion. How do you and I go from darkness to light? 
here's the, the real point I'm driving at, brothers and sisters, is that neat things don't convince us of something's truth. G.K. Chesterton says a man doesn't really believe because something makes sense. He believes because everything makes sense because of this one thing. Everything makes sense because of this one thing. Why am I a Christian? There's a thousand and one reasons, but it's not based on a miracle or on any one passage or any historical proof. It's because the world makes no sense apart from Jesus Christ. My heart, my mind, my soul, the order of the universe, the beauty of love, these things make no sense without him, and my life would be meaningless. So here's what it says at the end of chapter 12, at the close of the first half of John's gospel, it says this, Jesus departed and hid himself from them, and though he had done so many signs before him, yet they did not That doesn't convince people. Right? Signs and our proof texts. And in your own life, brothers and sisters, you're not going to stay a Christian if your faith is based on those things. And, and they're true. They really happen. But that's not what our faith is. That's not why we're Christians. And so in the same chapter, Jesus says this. He's trying to draw all people to himself, Right? When are people going to believe in God? When are they going to believe in him? Jesus says this. He knows he's going to the cross. He says, now is the judgment of this world, right? The judgment of all of our lies and all of our, you know, hiding behind the reasons we shouldn't give our lives away and all the evil in the world, the judgment on it isn't God sitting on a throne and saying, okay, sheep, 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 goats, right? That, I mean, that is scriptural. That's Matthew 25. But the judgment on the world is that. Because all of the reasons and the excuses I create for myself not to give myself away, not to believe in something bigger than Brian Larkin, and not to love other people, all of those things are condemned in the love of Christ on the cross. That's the judgment on the world. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. Not through signs, not through miracles, but through the cross. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. That's our faith. Conversion brothers and sisters, isn't about seeing something that was amazing. That can help sometimes. It's about your heart. It's about something deep inside of you that sees something. And you can't do that by science. Science isn't bad. It's a really good thing. It only happens through the heart, mind, and soul. And so that's the simple message today. Is there something inside of you, right? The Pharisees are the ones who should have got it. If anybody should understand this, if anybody should have been ready to know who he really was, it should have been the Pharisees. They fasted twice a week for God to return to Israel. 
They led moral lives. They tried to follow God. But there was something in their hearts that wasn't open. Is your heart open? Right? Do you have that space in your heart to listen, to watch, and to see? We're almost at Holy Week. We're getting close. And I know what you're all thinking, because I feel the same way. Don't you hate it when people ask what you gave up for Lent? And you're like, I don't want to tell you because I didn't really do it. Right? <laughs> Try being a priest. Lent, the disciplines are good, but your discipline is not about you being like, yep, 40 stars. Made it every day. That's great if you did. That's not what it's about. Lots of people are disciplined. Lots of people have good virtues. Lent is about preparing your heart for that. It's about union with God. It's not about better habits, as good as those are and as necessary as they are. It's about love, faith, and hope. And so, brothers and sisters, as we draw near to Lent or to Holy Week, are your hearts open? Are you a little bit more open to God than you were before? Do you see his beauty and his glory? Right? Have you gone from darkness to light? Jesus, we ask you for that. We beg you for that. Lord, we don't just want to know things. We don't want to just have good behavior. Jesus, we want to love you. We want to see you. Lord, may we truly have the insight, the vision of faith. And may you help us, Lord, help us to see the world through you, that all things make sense in you, that all things find redemption in you. Jesus, open our eyes that we may see.